Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who has a vast collection of vintage DC and Marvel comic books, and ironically lives in Minnesota, where his favorite NBA team, the LA Lakers, originated, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, if you have been following me in season three and season four of the podcast, I talked about my journey into land investing. And I have the pleasure of having two gentlemen who um, have been doing this longer than I have. And I think just bring re- real raw wisdom. And um, they, they don't play BS um, like some other guests that I will mention in a different <laughs> podcast. Um, please help me welcome the Land Blueprint guys from the Casual Fridays REI podcast, Justin and Adam. Welcome, guys. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks so much for having us. I'm going to, it's the land flipping blueprint, guys. Land flipping blueprint. Yep. I'm sorry. But you got it. You're, you're there. You're there. I, I didn't have the script in front of me. I was just, I was going, <laughs> I gotta, going off the cuff. I got to tell you, that's a pretty good intro. You know, we've been on a lot of podcasts and obviously we have our own and that, that was good. I, yeah. I don't know if I've sat through people doing it like live. I'm like, yeah, you know, he, 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 it. he, knows, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> we're, we're not going to, we're not going to BS you and he's got it down. So. After a couple hundred times, you hope you get this <laughs> oh, yeah. down, right? Yeah. We're on like two, episode 250 right now, and I still uh-huh. forget. I have it written down in front of me, and I'm always like looking at Justin, and he starts laughing, and I'm like, uh, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> well, we can always edit, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm just exactly too lazy right. to want to do it. So there we go. All right, you guys. So um, I mentioned about kind of the, the thing in common we have in, in land flipping. And actually, I did some consulting with you guys, full disclosure, um, mm-hmm. late, late last year going in, into this year. And um, would love to have you just talk a little bit about your journeys. You know, how did you get into this? What have you been doing before you were doing land? Give us a, a background for each of you. Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, this is Adam. Um, see, Justin, and I, I guess we both been at for just a little over right at four and a half years. I got started maybe a month before him. Um, I've been in real estate off and on for almost 15 years. I've literally done everything. I've been a, a house builder, a rehabber, a wholesaler, landlord, literally you name it, I've done it. Um, the market crashed in like the 08, 09 time. I was a realtor and I went belly up, went basically broke and ended up going to work for Justin on the railroad as a conductor. And the whole time I'm thinking like, how do I get back into real estate? Cause it's all I really wanted to do. And I heard this podcast where this guy was saying that he was buying land for a hundred bucks an acre. And I was thought, that's amazing. Cause that's all I have right now. And I want to get into this. So, so I did, I jumped out there about three, two and a half acre parcels each, uh, paid 250 bucks each, sold them all for a thousand and each. And I was hooked. And, uh, at that time is where I let Justin jump in. He kind of saw what was going on and Adam's not telling the complete story here. <laughs> so Uh-oh. I'm going to go into it. Me and Adam. So you have a little background. We've been friends for 25 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had an Amazon business together where we did, everybody likes side hustles and everybody wants to be, wants to have this, like this piece of them that's not their everyday grind. So we have a, we had an Amazon business. He took a course and was like, Hey dude, we need to start this fulfillment by Amazon. We start that. We get three number one products. And then he comes to me with the ideas. I want to get back in real estate. Let's liquidate the company. And I'm like, great. 
real estate, what are we doing? And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to do it. And so at that time, I'm an executive level uh, operations manager at, the, at a small railroad. I'd left a bigger railroad, went to a small one. And he's like, but you can do it too. So we, we both kind of jumped into it head first. I bought a couple properties in the first couple months. And then starting January the, of 17, I said, you know what? I'm going to have, this is going to be my wife's side hustle. She's going to really like it. She's working from home. We have twins. We had uh, newborn twins and it was like, you know, she's going to love this and sent out this big marketing push and we got a huge response. I want to say we sent out 2,500 blind offers and I don't know how many calls. She had a spiral notebook of people to call back and she didn't want to call them back. (laughs) So here I am driving home from work with that notepad. She's taking notes, doing kind of the due diligence check and I'm calling these people back. She's hearing me get cussed out, you know, on the phone talking to these people because they're mad because we offered them so low, but we buy 21 properties. 21. And, and that's so, so January of 17, uh, 29th, I can remember the date, January 29th is when that letter went out. April 21st of 17, I get the 6 a.m. come meet the HRVP and the CEO in the conference room call and I no longer have a job. And mm. I've got this brand new company. I've just bought 21 properties. And I'm thinking, what do I do? You know, and I said this earlier on a, a podcast where I'm sitting there and I remember this moment vividly. I'm sitting there next to my pool thinking I, I had a company car, so I didn't have that anymore. I'm like, I don't have a car. I don't have a job. I'm just like, I'm a loser. And I remember telling myself that. And I was like, no, man, you've got this company. It's shown some great, great returns so far. Give yourself six months. You have the money to bank. Just give yourself six months and see what you can make of it. And so we gave ourselves six months and then off that first 21 properties, we made like 70 grand and we just started churning a deal. And I had to change my business model a little bit because now we've got family to feed and things like that. So fast forward, that's where the blueprint, the bass boat property and all that came from. And here we are, you know, four and a half years later, three and a half, four years later from that point, And, uh, you know, doing a couple different things in the land investing niche. That's awesome. Well, I, I go back to kind of those beginning moments because so many people that are, are listening to this have never done this before. Yeah. And I think each step there, there's, at least for me, I don't know about for you guys, but there's fear involved with it. Mm -hmm. You know, first, how the heck do I figure out who to send things to? Mm -hmm. Second, okay, I've sent them something. Should I actually (laughs) buy it or not? You buy it. How the heck am I going to sell it? Right. And and there's that, that punch in the gut feeling of, oh, should I do this? Am I doing the right thing? walk me back to those beginning moments for you guys. How did you overcome that? What was it like for you? Yeah, I'll go first. I, I'm first, I'm gonna say the biggest, uh, or the best thing about this whole thing is right, is the amount of risk. And I think that's what got me through at the beginning is because, um, like you said, when you send something out and they call you back and you're like, well, how do I know how to buy it? Well, the first properties I ever bought were 250 bucks. I thought if I messed this up, well, then I only risked $250. Like a lot there's a lot of people who can risk that. And in, and in the scope of real estate investing, that's nothing, right? Especially for the returns you can get. But yeah, the overall, I was so scared. I was so scared when those, you send out the mailers, you don't know if you did it right. And I totally bombed it. I offered a hundred dollars an acre in a place where they were selling for a hundred thousand an acre. And so you know how the phone calls go when that happens, right? I send out four or five, 600 letters to all that. And, um, yeah, those calls come in, they were angry, but you pick it up and just kind of learn as you go. I mean, it's not like it wasn't a huge risk. And I think it was something that a lot of people can resonate with at that time is like, oh, well, I'm gonna mess it up, but it's not a lot of money. So just keep moving forward. 
Yeah, for me, my my head was like, oh, well, I put this money aside, you know, job's going good, life's good, put this money aside to get this thing started. And then when I got the calls back and these people were angry and I kind of laughed about it. I remember one conversation I had, the guy goes, he's like, I wouldn't sell you that property for that price over my dead body. And I kind of laughed and I said, hey man, I, I get that. I, and I really do. I said, but will you put my letter next to your will? Because your kids <laughs> don't want that piece of property out in Brewster County. And he, he, he stopped, he goes, are you serious? And I said, yeah. I said, you just want them to know where to sell it when it's, when it's time. And you know, and I, I don't mean anything disrespectful. He goes, are you a smart A, Alec boy? And I said, my dad thinks so. And he kind of laughed. He goes, I like you, but you're not getting that property from me. And I didn't, but at that moment, you had to make a decision. Do I let this weigh me down? and take it personal or do I have fun with it a little bit? And that's kind of what we we've done. Now there's some conversations that are bad and there's some nerves that happen because it's like fishing. You don't know what cast is going to catch that fish, but you know, the skill, you learn the skill, you hone the cast, put the right lure on and you keep going at it. And then eventually you get to jerk that lip of that five pound bass or you're out in the ocean, you catch that big red snapper and you're going, man, this is why we came. This is why you cast so many times because you get that, that, that thrill, that rush and, that's what so many of us like miss in our daily grind is that rush and that excitement of just, just that creation, that hunt. So what, what do you think excited you guys back then at the start of the journey? What, what excited you at the beginning? And then let's transition to now. How does that change to what excites you now? At the, at the beginning for me, it was just the fact that I could mail someone of like a blind offer for their property and that they would just sign it and send it back without even calling. That's how I bought my first ones, right? The, Marketing campaigns sent out a bunch of letters. There are blind offers. The one person that uh, I bought the three, two and a half acres parcel from, he never even called me. He just signed a letter and sent it back. And I'm going, holy, I can't believe this just worked. This guy didn't even call me. And then I was so nervous to call him back because I thought he was like setting me up, you know? But um, yeah, that's what excited me then. But now it's taking what we did because I don't think either one of us would shop for a $250, two and a half acre parcel anymore. Mm -mm. Now it's the bigger deals, you know, the big ones we're buying for 50,000, selling for 150,000. It works the exact same. Send out the letters, the people call, you do your due diligence and you buy. And it's just, God, it's amazing. See how, how big it can grow. Yeah. I, what excited me then was, you know, the, the, some of the smaller properties, the, the lower price properties, was you could say, Hey, you know what I own? Like I said, I bought 21 properties off that first marketing push. And you're like, what? That number just, it sounds like, it sounds cool. Well, I think I spent 25 grand. I mean, it wasn't like a ton of money to buy 21 properties. So now you're like, okay, let's put it in perspective. But the cool thing with that was, is we sold half of those on terms. So now I have cash flow coming in every month. And I was like, well, I could get some more money back out. So I took an unsecured loan and seasoned my own notes, if you will. And my payment was half of what the thing was. So my notes were averaging five years. My payment was over three years and it was, I was getting 14 or 1500 bucks a month. My payment was $700 a month. So I had $700 a month in positive cash flow and had all my money back plus the cash profits I made. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, this, this could really work. This is a really neat thing. And like Adam said, the exciting part now for me is putting that money to work in new, new deals for newer investors that get that thrill. That are like, oh, I got this six acre property back in Florida and we bought it for 15,000 bucks and they sold it for 35 or 40,000. And they're super stoked. I'm super stoked. And it's just good to see that full cycle because I still get excited with that newer person because a lot of my business is deal funding now. Mm. Well, I, th I think it's so interesting how careers change and, and um, I find myself at this point where the, um, some of that, that initial excitement, it's, it's becoming more like a grind, mm -hmm. right? 
And um, like with many things in life, you know, it's like a relationship, right? You, you meet your, your, your uh, a girlfriend and it's like, oh, she's amazing. And, yeah. you know, you, you have butterflies all the time. And, and then you get married and life hits you a little bit. There's still excitement, but it's yeah. not the same level, right? It's not the same as the initial part of the relationship. Um, I'm curious, what has that been like for you guys? Have you hit, hit points in this, this career that it's like, it's not the same as it used to be. It feels kind of like a grind. And how have you worked through that? How have you changed your business? What does that look like for you? I think that's, you know, like I said, I think that's pretty much going to happen no matter what you're at, right? There's still those small things in any of our businesses that, that daily stuff that you're still doing four and a half years later where you're like, man, I would really love if I had someone that just handled this for me. But to kind of like keep it exciting, you keep growing and expanding and, you know, whether it's your knowledge base or your businesses, like, like I said, we're looking at much bigger deals and uh, different avenues of our business. Like, like Justin said, he does deal funding now, which um, wasn't like always a case, right? You do your own business and then you expand and you help others and, or you, the size of your properties go from smaller to bigger. The prices go from small to bigger. There's a lot you can do. Yeah. I, I got to be careful how I answer this. I've been with my wife for 19 years. So we, we still have butterflies and we're still magically in love and everything's roses and unicorns. No. And that's, you know, to Adam's point is you try to look for stuff. And I think that a lot of people in a long journey, like what, it, whether it's, you know, land investing or career, they have to find little things that always motivate them. Little things they can be passionate about. You know, a lot of your listeners have gone through school for a long time to get where they're at but there's something that they can always go back to. Whether for me, like I find like little, little pieces of things about land that excite me. So I buy a certain type of land because I want to see the drone shot at sunset with these trees over it. And then I get to go, dang, I really own that 20 acres. That's just beautiful there. It's got big, tall trees. It's got a lake in the background. It's got mountains in the background. And I, that, that excites me. And I still get that thrill when I get that, um, that drone video back. Like I got a drone video back on a property I've had listed for a couple months. I just redid the drone video and I hadn't, I didn't have a drone video originally, but I got excited again about that property. And I've walked the property personally. I normally don't, but this one I actually walked and I was out on it for me and Adam walked it. We were out on it for two hours with another, with a client and I got a drone video and it looked to me totally different. And I was like, man, this is cool. You know, and it's two hours from our house and it's like, man, I could, I could go build my cabin there. And that's that. What if that dream, that freedom that's there with that just really still drives me whether it's my property or a property I've deal funded, I, I find that, ex, I find that little bit of excitement. So it's kind of like with your wife, you know, if you see she puts on that certain workout shirt or that certain pair of shorts or that dress and you're just like, that dress gets me every time, baby, that <laughs> color. That's, that's, that's what I find in that. And that's what's kind of kept that spirit alive. Mm, I love it. That's good. Um, what about, uh, I know in, in everything there's, there's things that we don't like. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the pros of, of, to me, land stuff is diversification. Like we mentioned, you can buy a bunch of stuff for not a lot of money. It's not like a house where you're taking more risk and you have debt and those kinds of things potentially. Um, uh, and certainly there, there's the high potential reward, which I think people still won't believe us when we tell it to them. You know, it's the numbers sound too good to be true. And, and reality is there's what you buy it for and there's all the, the marketing and the machine and all that stuff behind it, which does cost money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but anyhow, um, what, what do you guys think about that? What do, you, what do you not like about this business? I mean, there's the, as, there's the glaring one that every land investor knows, right? And that's the, those are the people that do not like your letters. 
you know, because the way this works is we pick a county and we mail everyone in that county a letter that matches that their land matches what we want. Sometimes it's a thousand, two thousand, three thousand letters. Um, there's a strong percentage. I mean, a strong chance there's going to be a couple people that did not want your letter and they're not going to be shy about calling and telling you. And I don't know a single person that like loves that when they get those calls where someone's telling you that you're crazy, right? That when I was brand new to this industry and I sent those $100 offers to a $100,000 property, I got tore into. The greatest thing I ever did was a couple of days after that first mailer, I sent a second mailer to a different county, which I did properly. And I bought off that second mailer because if I wouldn't have done it right, uh, if I wouldn't have, and all I did was get screamed at, I probably would have never done an another mailer again. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably one of my, my biggest pet peeves. The, the other piece to that is, it's, I love the acquisition side. Like, like you said, you can go out and buy a ton of stuff. And I love the idea of getting this stuff undervalued and then looking at what it's worth and saying, okay, I've created all this equity. Like I feel that's my bravado to it, you know, but it's the, the tedious task if I'm not hiring it out to be, to be listed is to go through that and just kind of saying, Oh, I want to list it. Then I have to deal with all the phone calls that are coming in. So that I've set my business up in a way to where it's automated through most of that. So I don't have to do it. But that early on, that was one of the big things for me that I was just like, oh man, I got to go list on these 13 websites and then answer these messages and emails and phone calls. God, this is, there's got to be an easier way. It's interesting. I'd say um, for me, what, what um, is the pain point is, is the system I built. <laughs> it's because it's so complex to do what we're doing in terms of, of volume, you know, mm -hmm. and it's constantly trying to tweak and work on it, which is fun. But on the other hand, it's, you know, all of the, like you mentioned, all the places to list and all of the, mm -hmm. the things to do, you know, step, 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 step. And, um, it's, which is great in that it's harder for people to get into it, I think. But <laughs> on the other hand, it creates a lot of work for myself and, yeah. or, or for me to outsource it, which I've done a lot of, mm -hmm. um, and continue to, um, I'm curious, um, for, for you guys, you know, with, with this business, of course, there's the, the terms where people pay us monthly. There's the cash deals. Um, certainly, if you think of, of a traditional retirement, you think of, of what I call the piles of cash method. Mm -hmm. You're like Scrooge McDuck, swimming in a money bin filled with cash, right? That, that you say, okay, I'm going to live off of this pile of cash, take withdrawing 3 or 4% a year. So you have $2 million, you know, 4% would be 80 grand. You can sustain plus inflation for mm -hmm. a super long time. Um, and that's kind of the definition of financial freedom. What's your living expenses, right? And you take the piles of cash. How are you guys thinking about financial freedom in relation to having this business? When do you achieve it? What does that look like for you? That's a, and that's a great question. I, I, and I probably think of this backwards because I challenge myself every month to go back out and I got to get that deer so I can eat even though that I'm accumulating the note, like, you know, if we add in notes and we add in cash sales every, every month is a new month for me. And then I take a look quarterly and I say, okay, Hey, like you say, your piles of cash, this is what I need to live for one year, two years, three years, four years, uh, without the money working, just saying, and this is where I'm at. And I say, okay, here, I'm good for this time period. And so, you know, the financial freedom part portion of that is now having the, for lack of a better term, the nut be big enough that it's feeding myself for the, the sustainability for the long haul. And so I, in my head, I'm like, okay, realistically, my nut is big enough to cover until my youngest who's two to get through college. 
how much farther do I need to go than that? And then you continue to grow. And that's without doing any more work to it or, you know, it accumulating and continue that, that snowball effect of it moving forward. So, and that's, you know, you cover your bills and that stuff. But it, when I first got started full time, like I said, I put six months back, everything else I had, I went to work with. It was like, Hey, you know, you've got this. And then it's like, okay, well, do you take on a little bit of leverage and try to, to make that work a little bit more for you? And what, what does that look like? And how does that work? And, you know, it's, everybody's answer is a little bit different, but life always happens. You know, a kid breaks their leg, a kid breaks their arm, wife magically gets pregnant somehow because you're working <laughs> from home all the time and you have a two-year-old whose birthday is today. So he's two today, but that's, you know, things like that happen and you have to account for that in there. So, you know, your financial freedom should include, you know, what's your, your sustainability, but life, you know, vacations, things like that. So you, you have that there. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just the entrepreneur in me or what, but I would never feel extremely comfortable saying, okay, I've got 2 million in the bank. I can live off 4% of that for the rest of my life. Right. It's about, for me, it's about building that consistent, like in constantly reinvesting. So that number can grow. It's like Justin said, cause you never know what's going to happen in your life. We actually had a show on the, about this a couple of weeks ago where we talked about what it meant like financially. And I think Justin gave more of a clear answer here. He was pretty like lawyer, <laughs> he was, gave like a lawyer answer on, on our show. He wouldn't answer specifically. But for me, that number was like, I feel really comfortable when I'm making off of investments, off of what, passive income, sales, or whatever. I'm, I'm bringing in a net of about five times what I need. That way, if it got cut in half, I can still afford to live my life, right? It's like they say someone who needs $5,000 a month to build their passive income. Well, I don't know who they are, but you know, let's say you need 5,000 a month and you build your cash flow to 10,000 a month. That way, if something crazy happens and you lose half of it, we can still afford to live your life, right? And how nice of a nice, how nice of a life do you need and how much money do you want? Well, it kind of depends on the lifestyle you want. So do you guys think of, I guess I, I wasn't clear on the final answer. Like, is it that you, you, you just keep working until you can't work anymore? Is it that like, when do you retire? Like what, when are you done? You know, when do you, do, when do, do you, do entrepreneurs away? retire? Like when you have that investment bug, uh, do you ever really give up? Like, like you said, you've got all the, you're building systems that allow you to like continue to run your business. If those systems are still running and all you have to do is spend a couple hours a day or, or week just managing it, do you, do you give it up? I don't know if I could. I, I understand what he's asking here because I'm at that point where I'm tired, boss. I want to I wanna take a little break. But what I've done is gotten those businesses to where they're sitting there. And if I decide to pull out for a couple of weeks or a month, I can. And I, you know, I may have to sign a deed or sign some paperwork, but I could step out of the business. Now, with Casual Fridays with, with Adam, I get on and we talk, once, uh, we talk three times a week. So to the idea of retirement, like I, when I, was, I went to Florida last week for a family vacation, sitting on a boat, we're doing some fishing. And I was talking to one of the guys that was on the boat with us and he's a UPS driver. He's 60. And you know, is, you know, what's retirement look like to him? And his retirement question is what I do every day. You know, I get up, I go to the gym, I come in and I check on some stuff for an hour or two, eat lunch. If I want to go back in the office, I do. If I don't, I don't. I race bikes with my kids. Uh, we're, we're very active as BMX racers. And, you know, so at, to Adam's point, you know, is retirement going to sit at a retirement home? No, that's not what I want to do. But I do want to be able to, you know, make sure all our needs are met. We have money for life. And if I choose to spend a couple hours messing with my investments that day, I do. If not, then I, I don't. So, you know, I, to Adam's point, I don't know what retirement looks like now because in corporate America, pension, 401k, my retirement plan I had with that, when I turned 60, I was guaranteed Seventeen or eighteen thousand dollars a month plus my four hundred one k, so that was retirement, and I was going to do nothing. Nobody's going to call me anymore. 
but I'm doing that now. But I just go in and check on stuff every now and again. And if I really want to ramp up my system, then like if say, hey, I want to ramp up the machine and I'm going to blow it out, then I do it. Because I'm like, hey, I want, to, I want to do this next year. 10 years from now, I need to make sure I have this in place. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a loaded question. And I can't, mm-hmm. I can't give you a straight answer. Well, it's it certainly a changes, I think, and it changes for me, you know, in terms of what does that look like? And um, like I look in this business and I wrote down some, some numbers for myself mm-hmm. that um, based off of, off of a terms portfolio, like I would need to have about 32,000 a month okay. coming in revenue wise, not mm-hmm. net profit, you know, subtract out some of the costs, subtracting out late payments, subtracting out defaults, mm-hmm. all that stuff that happens and then to maintain that at that point, you know, then I could get away with maybe five or six sales a month, which yeah. compared to what we've been doing is like nothing, which um, sounds, sounds like a lot, you know, at that point it's pretty much a machine. I could do that yeah. through tax liens pretty darn easily and not even <laughs> yeah. think about it. Um, so I think that's kind of right. Right. It, it becomes a point like at first you're building yourself a job. And then if you put systems into place, you have a business that you're running. And then if you continue to grow it now, it becomes an investment that it's over there working without you being there. And I think that's probably a better answer for us. Like we're very semi-retired at that point. You can work an hour or two a day while this is still just bringing in all the money that you want. And that's very feasible as a land investor. I mean, just like you said, building up those notes, you know, you, you you, you buy a note or you buy a piece of land, you sell it off every month, people keep paying you. And then all you got to do is buy five or six every month to maintain. Well, and it's, it's always such, so curious to me because like, um, in my other world, there's, there's commissions and there's recurring revenue. And I've always been more of a recurring revenue kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, in this business, you have the cash flow issue that if you don't generate enough money up front, now, now you're getting squeezed, right? Because if you buy a property for 3000 bucks and you're getting 200 a month on it, that's a year and a half, potentially, if not longer, depending on the cost of mailing and the cost of... Um, acquiring and marketing the property to break even on it. Um, so I, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on how, how you're struggling with that and the cash flow. Cause I know you guys have a mix. You have a mix of cash properties and terms, you know, how yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I was talking to Beth about one of those deals we have going today. We have a deal in East Texas and we got an offer this week on it. And we've, we've got two offers standing and, and we're, we're deciding which one to go with. But, you know, when we dealt and, and I'm going to speak kind of, I'm going to speak for Adam, but I'm going to let him answer on his own too. When we used to buy some of the smaller properties, we were buying for three to $5,000 and we'd ask for nine ninety seven down and 125 a month just to build our portfolio up. You know, when we, when I really, when I switched my property type and I was like, Hey, I'm going to buy these, what we call bass boat properties on our show. You know, we're buying them for 10, $15,000. They're worth 30 to $45,000. We're buying those. We still offer owner financing on that, but we set the terms a little bit different because if they go to the bank, they're going to be charged 20%, 25% down if the bank will loan on it. So if we're buying at 30% and we, they don't have to get credit checked, we're ready to close there. It's not out of line to ask for 25 to 30% down. And a lot of times we can get into these bigger margin properties, get 80, 90% of our money back up front, and then have this larger, uh, larger piece of equity out there drawing interest over a longer term. So now our term, so when I changed this and my terms, average term was about five years out. Now I'm seeing 10 and 12 years out. So now that, that machine that you're having to maintain those cells every month to do it, I don't have to do as much because I'm stretching it out. And since it's a bigger amount out there and I've got the interest weight against it, it's making me more money passively longer. So I think last year 
and I looked at my interest payments, just the interest alone off the notes that I had was close to 60,000 bucks. And that's just interest off just that. That's not counting the equity that came back and the, and the cash deals. It's just that one stream of income coming in that we, we created out of just us sending out a piece of mail and buying a property and marketing it. Yeah, I was very much in that buy it for two, three, four, five thousand dollars, take a hundred to five hundred down, and then over a year, year and a half, two years, you get all your money back. And then it's cash flow for three, four, five, seven years. But like Justin said, I mean, he he was really into it before I did. I finally came around, but it's like get as much as you can out of it at first. And it may not sell as quick. What if it takes 30 days longer, but you still got, you know, you buy it for two, you get your fifteen or two, two thousand back. Now you're got your uh acquisition costs back and then it's pretty much straight cash flow from that point. Yeah. Like the, the, in the deal I was referring to, we, we bought the property for $22,000. We have a $20,000 down payment cash offer and the sell price of 47,000 bucks. So we have 27,000 and essentially equity that's sitting out there at 10% interest over the next eight years. That's just, just going to go on that one. So you're like, okay, well, most of our money's back. And now we have this out there just drawing a, a payment. And I want to say the payment was like five, 400, 500 bucks a month those type of notes, it doesn't take as many to get to that $32,000 as it does if you have a hundred dollar one, you know, we're doing one for five versus that. And I can continually do those, but to the point of the smaller land that I like it if I'm not doing it. So like I, I tell Adam, I have an interview tomorrow with a guy that we've got a pre-interview. We're going to have him sit down and just so he can run that business for me, I'll put up the money. He'll take a piece of the deal and he'll get a salary. So he's got a base so he can live off of, and then he's going to grow that up. Kids 18, 19 years old. He's going to, he could end up being a multimillionaire by the time he's 22, 23, if he hustles. And that's, and I think he sees that. And that's what we hope to convey to him is that, Hey, you can do this and they're going to help you continue to grow. That's good. That's good. Um, well, any other um, thoughts just on the land business? Maybe we haven't touched on things, things that, that people should think about that again, have maybe never been in this before. You know, we're, we're talking from an experience side, you know, what's, What's something people should think about? I'm going to throw this out there. And I, some, of these, some of your listeners may resonate with that. They're going to go to their online banking and they're going to click into their online account and they're going to see a number. And it's going to be, it could be anywhere from $5,000 up to, you know, million dollars in their, their checking and savings and all their accounts on there. That money sitting there is not making you money. And if you learn how to buy something right and you can buy it at 30 cents on the dollar, you know, if you even took you that 100,000 becomes 300,000 and equity. It's not realized yet because it's not liquid. But if you have that money just sitting there not doing anything, you can have it in the dirt playing. And that's the coolest thing about land to me is like, I know if I send a bunch of offers out and I get deals back that are good deals and I buy those, I know I just increased my net worth by at least two to three times with just that same money. So, I mean, that was one of the coolest things for me about land. Yeah, I guess I'll throw out my, my like well, favorite thing about land too is that <clears throat> I know a lot of your listeners are, you know, doctors or people that are very busy and a lot of people have the idea that they can make money in real estate. But if you think of like traditional housing or whatever, flipping houses to make cash, it's very intense. And the greatest thing about land, this can be the most hands-on or hands-off thing as you want. Like at this point, you know, we don't send the mail, right? This company does it for us. Title companies close the deal. You hand it off to a realtor, let them sell it, then back to a title company to sell it on the sell side. And you've just made 10, 20, $100,000, whatever it is on a cash sale. And you've got, five hours, maybe 10 hours wrapped up in the whole deal. And it's perfect for people to side hustle. I mean, as a side hustle. Yeah. Five to 10 hours is a lot of time. I, I don't see it, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's a lot of time. Yeah. It depends on if you have a lot set up, right. Where people are doing all of those things for you, which to mm -hmm. me, probably the thing that takes the most time is marketing. 
you know, yep. of everything. The buying, of course, takes some time, but that's relatively less time to me than the marketing stuff. You get that off your plate and that's a big yeah, deal. And that's what we, we started using realtors and brokers a couple years back and, and pushing probably about 90% of our business out of way. And then when they send me a link, like, hey, here's the link to the ad, I drop it on my Facebook page and I boost it to the area I want. So it takes me about three minutes while I'm sitting on the couch watching Little Baby Bum with my two-year-old. Um, <laughs> and if y'all if y'all watch Little Baby Bum, you understand what I'm talking about. You see the shark going, doot, doot, doot. And we I do that. And now I know I've got some additional marketing pushing it to them. And then I'm checking that their MLS is listed at everywhere and they have it all over the place. So you know, they're paid to do that. They can show it. They have their buyers list. And then we're just adding that little bit extra. It's always driving back to them. And they're the one taking a phone call. Then I like getting that text. Hey, we got an offer coming in. You know, you, they, I tell them to bring me every offer because I'm not attached to any of this. So if I bought it for 10 and I have it listed for 35 and they say, Hey, we got to offer a 22.5. I say, go cool. Take it. Let's make their day. Person's happy. We've made a good return and everybody moves on happily. Love it. Well, I I'd, I would add just to the conversation. I think um, as as I'm thinking through it and thinking through the journey, I think the hardest t- things I've seen people have is 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 uh, especially someone like a doctor. They're not used to failing, mm-hmm. and um, we've talked about a lot of the the really good things. And and some of the the failures in this come in. Um, you you can start out smaller of mailing a hundred letters, two hundred letters. You might have crickets. Mm-hmm. and might not hear back anything. I've had mailers of two or 3,000 hear back nothing, you know, except properties that, <laughs> that I shouldn't buy. Um, you know, and, and I think um, getting that, that virtuous cycle going is important and it takes understanding the smaller properties take less investment of time and money and mail and the larger ones take substantially more at least that's that's my perspective on it so far and the fact that you have to get up to bat and you're going to strike out perhaps mm-hmm. on when you're going for the home runs you know more often you're going to bat you know one out of five you know rather than hitting yeah. singles all the time yeah i think that's a that's a great analogy and we just did a we had a live event at the beginning of the year uh, it was called, and the live event was based around a project we did. We call Project One, and we sent out a mass amount of mail. I mean, it was just fifty, fifty-three thousand. I was going to say fifty-two, fifty-three thousand pieces of mail in one shot. And we said, let's just see what happens. And so our numbers originally, our projection was we were going to buy seventy properties. There was going to be this many acres. This is how much money we were going to spend. And we got told no a lot more than what we thought. We got pandemic and things like that happened, but our numbers on acquisition costs were the same. Our acreage was the same, but our property value, the property amount was, was way down, which was cool to us because it allowed us to see that we kind of where the top where the com- competitors were actually shopping at. And so we were getting some stuff that would get them stuff back that we were. So we ended up buying two 100 acre ranches in Oklahoma, um, a 40 acre place in Oklahoma, a couple places in Alabama, a couple in Mississippi, and we sent out all this mail and it gave us a good sense of, you know, it humbled us in a way that we thought, oh, we're going to buy, you know, 70 or 100 properties. You know, to tell you that kind of, you know, say one for five, you know, we thought we were going to get that. And we ended up having, I don't know, 12 to 15 go to title. And I think we're going to end up closing on seven. Mm-hmm. Seven. Yeah. But and, those seven, the profit's the same that we were expecting to make off the 70 that we were going to buy. Yeah. So it just, it's, you, and I, and I say that just to segue into what you're saying, you know, I'm 
I was an overachiever in the corporate world and I was used to succeeding and hitting my numbers, hitting my key measures and always finding a way to make it better, faster, smoother, more improved. And then in this, you almost have to kind of keep what in the military, they say, keep it simple, stupid, have to step back and keep it simple because you'll overthink and analyze it to a point that you get yourself. It's so complex that we're just looking for the opportunity. We have to make the numbers. We're going to be told a no a ton of times, but we have to continue to make those touches to find that opportunity to get the deal. I love it. I love it. Um, well, as we wrap up the conversation here, we're, we're starting to run out of our time. We'd love for you guys to talk about um, the coaching that you do, the land flipping blueprint, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was going to throw that in there when you're like talking about, you know, it failing the number one way to not fail in this business. Come listen to us on our podcast. You know, <laughs> that's how, that's how you, that's how you leapfrog ahead of everyone else. Casual Fridays, REI podcast. Well at casualfridaysrei.com, we do have a training course and it's, we, we've taken our years of experience and a lot of the consulting calls we've done. We've had, I've had about a three combined, about 300 consulting clients where we took the problems that they had and they, some of them had education from other places. And we took what we kept seeing over and over and laid it on top of our business and put it together with step A to Z. Um, and we call it the land flipping blueprint. It's a, it's a course we're extremely proud of because it kind of virtual, it, it made virtual all the consulting we were doing. And it's, uh, we've been pretty excited about that and getting it out there. And you can find that on our website and read about it. Awesome. So with, um, certainly we've had other people on this podcast talking about some of their courses. What do you think mm -hmm. is different about what you guys are, are doing or have put out there versus some of the other folks? I would, do you want to get, how technical do you want to get? Because it's a, for me, the, the difference I see is we like, so a lot of people they'll teach, Hey, you got a secret County list, go buy from here. And then there's an upsell. We give you everything up front and say, hey, this is how we market in every market. We look for a target market that we like, and this is where we've seen it replicate at this price. But you learn a skill that you can, you can rinse and repeat pretty much anywhere. Yeah, so when Justin and I first got into this, we started our podcast. It was almost a year before we ever launched the course. We were really doing consulting work at that time. And what I mean by that is people were going and taking other courses. They were having uh, gaps, holes in the education they were learning. They were coming back to us because we didn't, all we were offering was consulting at the time. We didn't have a course and we were filling in those gaps for them. And by doing that for eight months, we really knew where people struggled and where they got hung up. And so we were able to go into our course knowing where people needed the help. So like the very fir first part of our training is really heavy on picking an area to do this and pricing it because we know for a fact that that's where people struggle because we send the blind offers. They got to know where to send them to and how to price them. And then we also know the second part of that is people really struggle with due diligence. It's their first time to do it. They're really nervous about buying a property, especially doing it remote. So we have very detailed uh, modules on picking, I mean, on the due diligence, right? So we pick a property at random. We go through our exact due diligence process. It's a checklist. Everyone gets it. You just follow that checklist. And at the end of it, you shouldn't, we'll tell you if we would or wouldn't buy it. And by doing that so many times, we have four different ones where we do this, you'll get a really good feeling. Um, but then we also offer the, offer the one-on-ones, right? So we have consulting that comes with the course. So you buy the course, you go all the way through it. You may have trouble picking up picking a county, pricing it. You may not, you may go buy, send your letters out and then people want to come back and do due diligence, right? We'll get back on the phone with you, a Zoom call, whatever you want to do, and we'll help you through that process. Um, it doesn't stop there, right? So we have like very detailed how to market it yourself or hire someone else how to do it, how to implement systems, every contract, form, script, you name it, it's all inside for somebody to download and just 
take our name off, put your name on and rinse and repeat. Well, I would say in my, my opinion, which I haven't taken your guys' course in full disclosure, but um, the, the, the one that I have gone through, uh, which was Mark's, obviously, I think part of the, the problem they ran into was there was like the old course Mm-hmm. and then try to keep on adding little pieces here and there. So it became this like unconnected thing mm-hmm. and there became all these holes in it. And I think that's part of the challenge of, of having a course <laughs> is you got to update yeah. it and, and change it and, and keep up with it. And, and I really felt um, kind of like what, what you said, Justin, about his course in particular was there was like holes in it where they didn't, fill it in and it's basically oh you got to get coaching (laughs) in order to fill in the holes i mean there was enough there that you could go out and do it Mm -hmm. but it really could have been done better i thought so that's that's my my um thought to leave you guys with keep it updated once a year or something Mm -hmm. because otherwise things change and you gotta keep it actually just talked about it yesterday is it time to go into it and make sure there's and the the thing is you get feedback so we have a private facebook group that if you buy the course you're in it and people ask questions in it and the questions we get aren't from the people that have taken our course. The people that have taken our course are answering the questions of people that got in because we grandfathered people in at the beginning. And so we had a month of open, just if you wanted to be in it, you could be in it. And so these people are asking questions and we're like, we forget who's taking the course and not. I mean, it's, there's a hundred and something people have taken our course. So we're like, Hey, that's in module four. And I like, oh, sorry, we didn't take the course. And we're like, ah, okay. Um, you know, that's, and that's fun. And I, and I will add this and I'm not trying to put you on spot, but you know, you asked us to be back on a show, but you've done consulting with us. So that, that says to me that, okay, hey, you found some value in it because you're put sharing us with your network and the people that, you, that listen to you and follow you and trust you with their, you know, their financial stuff. So uh, the, that's, that's to me is a sign of, hey, y'all are doing the right thing and coming from the right place. And, you know, everything can always be made a little bit better. And like Adam said, we talked about it yesterday. It's like, what do we do next? And how do we continue to make it a little bit better? And what are those questions that we need to change of this feedback? And you know, we, there's not much there right now. So it's like, okay, how do we add to it and make it a little bit more in depth? And where's the confusion and cleaning that up? And so that's kind of where that's in our next three to four months wheelhouse of let's just go back through and make sure that we've got everything said properly, straightforward, and we continue to see the success with our students. Cool. Um, any final thoughts, guys? You want to drop again where people can, can find you? Yeah, it's a uh, casual Fridays, REI. Um, you can find it at com. We also have a podcast, Casual Fridays REI, comes out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, you can find it anywhere you can find a podcast. Cool. Anything else? We good? We good. We're good. All right, my friends. Well, hope you appreciated this journey, just maybe getting another perspective on how you do this and another resource, which uh, again, I, I recommend these guys. I haven't taken their course, but um, I, I would recommend you check it out because as you can see, they're the real deal, just being honest and open about what's going on. So make sure to check out the podcast, Casual Fridays REI and that land flipping blueprint. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Deniston. Remember my friends, remember to slash your debt slash your taxes and live a red lifestyle.